Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. This is episode number six. Thank you all for taking the time to join us today. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, to say we are finishing this week with a bang is an understatement, as today I go one-on-one with a man who is regarded as one of the best coaches in the world right now. He is Team USA's women's head coach. He is also the man behind the success of superstar swimmers as Simone Manuel, Maya Dorado, and of course, one of the greatest swimmers of all time in Katie Ledecky was very, very fortunate enough to sit down with Greg and pick his brain about a champion's mentality, what he feels makes the best tick, his work with Simone and Katie in particular, and where he sees them improving over the next 12 months leading up to Tokyo 2021. As well, we talk about his own coaching philosophies, working at Stanford, and a whole lot more. So I know you did not download this episode to hear my voice. You came for the knowledge and the insights behind one of the sharpest minds in the business. So let's get it started. Ep number six with Greg Meehan starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one hundred in the second inning. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Joining me today on the show is the current head coach of the USA women's team and in his own training program at Stanford University, he coaches superstar athletes, Simone Manuel, uh, Taylor Ruck, Maya Dorado, and one of the greatest swimmers of all time in Katie Ledecky. It's a massive welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast to Greg Meehan. Greg, how are you going, mate? Uh, Doing very well, Robbie. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to spend a little time with you. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate the opportunity to wake up early. You've got, you've got me out of bed nice and early this morning, but it's good. It's good to get back into, into practice. Now, firstly, uh, I appreciate you giving up your time. I know, you know how busy you might be sort of planning and getting back into things and, and getting things going again. How, how have things been over there for you at the moment? It's pretty crazy times. We've got coronavirus um, protests going on over there. Kanye West has just decided he wants to run for president. So it's all happening over there, mate. How have you been? Yeah, to say the least, it's all happening. Um, been, been doing okay. It's been a, a challenge um, on a lot of different levels, right? I think any one of those things uh, in its own bubble would, would be a lot to kind of manage and navigate in, in a particular year. But to sort of have all of them come together has been a, been a real challenge. And I think it's been real hard for the kids. Um, but, you know, my own kids, plus yeah. the, you know, the athletes that we coach, just that they're, um, you know, we're all facing stuff that's been unprecedented. But, um, you know, you would have hoped at this point in the U.S. that we would have progressed and, and you know, kind of done some good work on, uh, on flattening the curve with mm. COVID-19 and, and being in a better spot. But um, our, you know, lack of leadership probably hasn't helped in that regard. And so mm. we're, you know, we're not much better off than we were in March, which is, uh, which is frustrating, but um, we're just trying to take it a day at a time and, and stay positive and, 
you know, hope that Kanye doesn't get elected. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, as, as you said, as we were talking about before, you know, Donald was in and everyone said that wouldn't have happened. So a- anything can happen. Um, you touched on there about swimming. Are you guys back in the pool yet? Have you been in back in for long? What, what are yeah, you fortunately, um, Stanford is one of the one of the few uh, university pools in the U.S. that's open. A lot of um, universities have not reopened their doors yet. Um, so when you kind of look around the the country, um, all the college kids are sort of scattered everywhere, inclu- including ours for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, but Stanford did open about three weeks ago, and we're incredibly grateful uh, i'm not sure if you've been to our facility but it's spectacular we've got uh two 50 meter pools a 30 meter pool with a with a bulkhead we also have a separate diving well um so we got a lot of water and a lot of uh aquatic sports here yeah. water polo um artistic swimming you know men's swimming women's swimming diving um so we've got kind of the full the full range of things so um, right now we just have a, a very small group in the water. It's, um, four, we're getting two more back this week. We'll have six in the water by the end of the week. Um, but most of our college kids are kind of staying home, um, yeah. and, and training with their home club teams, uh, just, you know, for, for, um, not wanting to travel and, and being in a, a spot where they can control the variables a little bit more. Mm. No, I haven't been over to your facility, mate, but if that was an open invitation, I'll certainly um, get the missus together and we'll, we'll work out a, a, a trip maybe sometime next year when it's all calmed down. Um, there you go. You know, you mentioned there's some of your athletes aren't back yet. And I know in the college systems, a lot of those guys are, are from different countries as well that, that come over and train with you. Have those guys gone back? Are they in their own sort of countries now at the moment as well? Yeah, you know, um, we've actually... Uh, on the women's side, the, the men's team has um, a couple more uh, international kids, but we only have one on our roster. That's Taylor Ruck. Um, yeah. And she's, you know, somewhat international because she represents Canada. But, yeah. you know, she grew up in the U.S. Uh, in the state of Arizona and so has kind of spent the majority of her life in America. Um, she's back in Toronto now with the um, the HPC up there and uh the rest of our roster is actually all u.s kids and um you know we've just felt like we've had a good run of of some of the best uh u.s kids and and piquing their interests um and because we have our kind of a a limited roster we've got 22 uh swimmers and and four divers you know we're we're kind of keeping things um tight and connected and so it doesn't mean that we don't uh, keep eye out and pay attention to what's going on internationally. But uh, as of right now, we've, we've been mostly domestic. Mate, unprecedented times with the Olympics being pushed back and all the restrictions around training and depending on, you know, where in the world you sit depends on what those restrictions are. If Tokyo does go ahead next year, you know, what do you think some of the keys are to ensuring athletes are, are going to be both physically and, and mentally ready to go in a year's time? Yeah, that's a great question, Robbie. I mean, I think the the mental piece is maybe the more significant end of things, um, especially with with the age of athletes that we're working with here. Um, you know, while it's been certainly a challenge for um, for teenagers, um, I think there's a, a greater challenge for those who are in their uh, early twenties uh, to mid twenties and and trying to um, you know figure out their plan. Uh, in our program here, like we're pretty organized and like things are 
are just planned out. And when we're in this type of situation where we never know what the heck's going on um, and we're constantly having to adapt and adjust, uh, I think that weighs on their, uh, on their mental health. And so yeah. really just trying to do the little things um, to stay positive, uh, to stay encouraging, um, to you know, really focus on the controllables you know, there are so much that's going on that we as individuals have zero control over. And so really trying to kind of, um, you know, grab onto the things that we can control and just put our best foot forward every day and, and taking it one day at a time. And I think that's the, the true um, kind of first step for all of us, uh, I think in the U.S., but, but specifically for, you know, our women here at Stanford. And um, just trying to be positive and take it a day at a time. And if they can be in good mental health, then they'll be in a better spot to take advantage of the swim side of it, right? Um, but I think if, if that is neglected or um, not fully understood, no matter how good the training is, uh, it's not going to be fully taken advantage of. And so I just think that's really important. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, this is unprecedented times. No, they've never had to do this. And for our professional athletes um, or for those that are transitioning out of their college careers and figuring out what they're going to do. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been a tough time. And so that's, that's first and foremost kind of front of mind for us. Um, you know, and then the, the swim side of it is um, it's just being smart. And, you know, the one thing that I, I keep going back to in, in my mind is like, we have a longer runway to the 2021 U.S. Olympic trials and eventually the 2021 games uh, than we normally would have. We'd be, um, you know, at the end of any particular summer here in the States, right? I know we're, we're flipped uh, for what you've got going on back home there. But uh, for, for us, there's always kind of our, our, our international meet or our long course nationals is kind of end of July, beginning of August. They take a little break and then get back in at, you know, the beginning of, of uh, September or maybe the end of August. Um, you know, now we're getting back in now. Um, yep. Some have been in for a little while. Um, and so you're talking about a, a runway that started maybe in June. And so you've got, you know, 12, 13 months uh, to, to kind of just let yourself build through and not going uh, too hard too early. And so just really um, understanding that piece of it and trying to just build volume, build intensity a little by little. Um, and so that's kind of been, been our focus here and, and just um, preparing them to, you know, just get better. And if by the time we get to, um, you know, the, the middle part of August, like we should be rocking and rolling pretty good. And, um, and we'll still take little breaks just so they don't get run down. Um, but, but that's kind of been our focus, uh, to me, I think that the interesting piece is just going to be when and where they can get some racing. And, uh, right now that's, that's seems pretty far away. Yeah. You know, the first thing that we at least have on the schedule, if things go well, would be uh, a pro swim series meets in uh, November. And so, I mean, that's a long time. You can't just go through these training, 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 and not race at all. Yeah. Um, I think even for us, we don't, race a ton. Uh, I, I think compared to some of our competitors, we, we sort of are, are thoughtful about um, dialing back our, our racing. Uh, but even for them, this is, this is too long of a stretch. So just trying to pick some spots where they can take a little break and try and create some sort of racing opportunities um, is sort of our plan here over the next couple of months. 
Hey, you mentioned uh, in your answer there in terms of the mental health of the athletes and and how, you know, this is unprecedented times for them so that, you know, they're going through a lot of things that they're not used to. But for us as coaches, I mean, this is all very new to us as well. And, and I don't know about yourself, but, you know, <laughs> I know for me, you know, being in control of a lot of things and knowing where I'm heading and knowing what's coming up is really important. If I don't really have that sometimes, so, you know, you lose your mind. How have you handled it? And how have you, you know, I know you would I've talked to a lot of other coaches. How have they been handling it as well with things being out of their control and not really knowing what's coming up, but still seemingly having to try and keep a plan for it? Robbie, are you suggesting that coaches are control freaks? Because that's shocking news to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may be suggesting that, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been... Um, you know, it's been... That part's been challenging. Um, and, and really, um, I think the one just incredible positive to this whole horrific uh, experience of, of 2020 is um, as coaches, you know, we've been hunkered down at home and we've had so much time to spend with family in a year that, you know, otherwise uh, when I got, I was getting ready to leave for the NCAA championships. And um, uh, when I was planning to leave, I was going to be five weeks gone from NCAA championships to a uh, three week altitude training camp and then a week uh, in Southern California for um, a pro swim series meet in Mission Viejo. And uh, the NCAA championships got canceled two days before, three days before we were supposed to leave for, uh, for the meet. And so I went from, you know, being gone for five weeks to literally being shelter in place <laughs> uh, for, for eight weeks, 10 weeks. And so um, it's been really nice to just spend time with family and, and appreciating rare opportunity that again in an otherwise uh, year we would never have and so um you know taking taking advantage of that and um spending time with them it's been fun we've just found different ways to to have uh, fun as a family and certainly food has been a priority in that process <laughs> um but uh you know talking to other coaches i think it's the same type of deal and just trying to find little things that they can they can do uh for me it's been um, just consistently working out. I've really enjoyed just getting into a, a routine that I haven't had in years. I mean, I'm, I'm probably in better shape now than I've been in the last 20 years. And so uh, that's been really fun. And that also, you know, justifies my eating later in the day. Um, but just, you know, little things, uh, trying to play some golf, because that is one of the few activities that's, that's been allowed for uh, the last um, maybe eight weeks, six weeks, something like that. So yeah, just, just trying to do the little things to uh, take our mind off of the fact that we can't, um, you know, control every little piece of it. It's like, okay, I'm just, you know, I, this is what I have. And unfortunately, uh, you know, for, for Katie uh, Ledecky and Samoa Emanuel, they've, we've had access to a backyard pool for a couple of months. And so I would just go coach them and come back and just hang out at home the rest of the day. And if it was a, a day where they had a double, um, it would be pretty short and we weren't like setting the world on fire, but just yeah. enough to kind of keep the engine going. Um, but still felt like I had tons of time to just be with family. Mate, have you been without uh, being able to watch sports? I know you're a man who, who likes his sports. Yes, I love sports. Oh, man, this has been hard. I will say the last couple of weeks with having um, – so professional golf has been back on TV. Uh, they're having here in the U.S. on the what they call the PGA Tour. Um, they've had events without fans, but they're televising them. And so, 
you know, getting to watch some of the best golfers in the world still play golf has been quite enjoyable. So mm. I've been, I've been watching that and, and, you know, finding uh, myself just kind of in the moment of enjoying the, the live sporting events, um, which has been <laughs> hard to come by. Tell you what, yeah, we missed it ourselves. Um, rugby league is, is what I like to watch foot and that that's just been back um, for the last say four or five weeks, which has been great. No fans, but they're slowly starting to come back. Um, I know for you guys over there, you probably equate football over here like Aussie rules and stuff like that. That's starting to come back too. So it is good. Much the same as yourself, Matt. I love sitting down on the weekend and watching a little bit of sports. Um, yes. So it, it was definitely tough when there was nothing on. And nothing on. I mean, there's only so many weekends where it's nice to sit with the with the wife and, and I've got a one and a half year old daughter. So we'd put Disney Plus on and that was nice for a few weeks. But after that, I was like, can we get the footy back on now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice to watch a game. Uh, <laughs> mate, outside of swimming, did, did you get stuck into any other sports when you were younger? Um, you know, baseball, football? Yeah, I, I was fortunate. My parents just kind of supported me doing whatever. Um, I felt like I wanted to kind of dive into. And so I played baseball, football, basketball, kind of dabbled a little bit in tennis. Uh, swimming was always, you know, kind of a part of my life, but uh, didn't really go sort of all in in swimming until I was probably 13. Um, so yeah, I just, I love uh, all sports and playing all sports. And uh, now with, um, with my kids, um, I have a 15 year old who's really into baseball and that's been fun for me because I, just I love baseball I loved playing it I love watching it um, I know it's boring for a lot of other countries to watch American baseball but um, there's a lot of like little subtleties and nuances that are hard to understand unless you really kind of can figure out the game and so that's the part that I love um, and so uh, yeah I just I, I love being able to do everything I don't know if I'd watch baseball on TV, but I've always thought if, if I ever get to come to America, I'd love to just go to a game and grab a hot dog and just sit in the stands and, oh, yeah. and, and watch. I think the experience of being there would, would be a, a good experience rather than sitting on the, on the couch and watching. But obviously for you guys for who sure. understand it a lot more, it's a lot more interesting to watch it that way. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Cold beer and a hot dog. Pretty good day. That's <laughs> good to me. Now, mate, to get a good appreciation sometimes of the heights of, of people's careers, it's, it's nice to look back to where it all started. For you, I know you were a swimmer yourself. How did you get involved in the sport? And talk to us about your own swimming career, because I, I know you're a, a pretty good backstroker. <laughs> pretty good is a very uh, nice term, Robbie, but I was <laughs> a backstroker. Um, I was the youngest of five in my family. And so uh, everybody swam and that was, we just kind of like, that's what we did. Uh, my parents never swam, but for some reason they put my older brother in swim lessons and he got into it. And then, you know, everybody sort of followed in line. And um, so just got to experience the sport at a pretty young age, loved it. Um, you know, still love it. Just like passionate about, um, about swimming. And um really enjoyed my swimming career through high school into college uh, and, and, you know, through my university years, just knowing that I wanted to kind of get into coaching because I was having such a great experience that I wanted to find a way to, to give back to the sport and to other people the way that, you know, my coaches had, had um, done for me in my career. So that was really, that was cool. And, and really, you know, sort of like, uh, that was sort of the first entry into coaching was because I had had such a great experience as a kid, just like 
every coach I had was, was awesome and different and unique in their own way. Um, but made a positive impact on me and, and wanted then to like, all right, I want to get into this. Cause I mean, I just, I, I really like coaching and I, I, I love the sport, but I really, the first entry in was like, I want to give back to others the way that, you know, I had received so much in my career. Hey, as coaches, something that's, it's very important is having mentors and people we can go to, to help us grow and, and learn. And for many people, I'm sure you're that guy at the moment for them. Who have some of your mentors been over the years and who have helped sort of shape your coaching philosophies? For sure. Uh, Susan Teeter, who was the, the head coach at Princeton university um, for a very long time. Uh, she was kind of my, the, the, the first person I worked with that, um, put me in a position to work with more elite level athletes and then also taught me about the, like the non water side of coaching and how to be a professional and how to present myself and how to communicate better. And Susan was incredible. Um, then I had the opportunity to spend some time with John or Branchek and that, uh, really changed the trajectory of my career. Um, you know, as, as may know, uh, John's been one of the most successful coaches in the world for the last, 35, 40 yeah. years, um, coaching everybody and anybody in the sport who's been good. And, um, I learned so much of, about the sport from him, from, a, you know, from a little bit more of a, a scientific perspective. Um, and that was something I hadn't experienced yet. Um, and then since then, it's really like my mentors are, are my friends and my colleagues. And, um, you know, I know you mentioned, uh, coach Troy and, Coach Bowman, I think, has been on the show. And those are two guys that I, you know, look up to a lot. Uh, Dave Jordan at, at Cal is a, a very good friend and, and colleague. And so, you know, you're just, you're just kind of engaging in conversations um, casually about the sport and swimming and how to be better. And, um, and so those are, you know, some of the people that have really impacted my path. And, and I'm sure they're going to still continue to, to impact my path. Was there a point in your career, mate, where you started to feel like you had a good grip on your, your coaching philosophy and what you felt was the right path in terms of, you know, developing talent and, and working with those elite athletes? Or do you still feel at the moment that, you, you know, you're constantly looking for a way to, to grow and, and to improve that philosophy? I, probably both, right? I mean, I, I think at, at the end of the day, at some point you have to be uh, confident in yourself and your abilities to, um, to coach the best. Um, and, and I would say I, you know, probably started that, um, as I was wrapping up my career at, at, um, my coaching time at UCLA, uh, which was kind of circa 2005. And, um, I was an assistant coach at that time would had transitioned to uh, my first head coaching experience. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I'm constantly, I don't want to say I'm constantly evolving because that's kind of cliche, but yeah. I am constantly um, reevaluating and um, understanding that like the athletes are changing and what they need is, is constantly changing. Just, you know, it's a different generation than it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Mm. And so just kind of understanding that piece and, and how to tap into this next crew of athlete is, is probably something that, you know, I hope I don't get stale on it. Cause that, that is like, all right, we've got to figure out a way to, to reach these kids, to motivate these kids. It's different. Yeah. You, know, you can't be a, a yeller and a screamer these days, at least in the U S like that's, 
that loses its effectiveness pretty quickly. And so how do you, how do you, you know, kind of motivate these kids to uh, believe in themselves and, um, and, and, you know, to be able to like do the same level of work. Because I would say the, the level of work hasn't really reduced. Just what it looks like is maybe slightly different. Um, but, you know, just, just kind of finding ways to, to connect with them. I would say that's probably the biggest thing. It's like that connection um, with your athletes is more important now than it's ever been. Nobody just comes in the door and, like, does everything that you say without question um, start to finish, you know, over, over the, uh, a year or a career. It's much more a collaborative partnership. Uh, especially with the ages that that um, that I'm working with, you know, I'm working with 18 to 22 year olds for our college team, uh, and then you know we have a couple of professional athletes, but they're they're 23, and so they're not they're not really much older, 23, 24 coming up here soon. Um, so just really trying to to create that partnership with them, uh, so that they feel like there's buy-in from from us on them holistically and. Uh, and then we, we, you know, we kind of figure out ways to, to press. So that's kind of my sort of long answer to that one. <laughs> Mate, something that us Aussies don't really have a great idea on uh, is coaching in, in college systems. And, and you've been very successful at that there at Stanford. Give us a little insight into firstly, how difficult it can be with, with all the moving parts to stay on top of everything and, and still go and have success. And how much do you enjoy that sort of team camaraderie part of it all? Yeah, I love it. That is what gets me out of the bed every day. I mean, that is like I get fired up to help our our team uh, compete to win national championships. Like that is the thing that I get most excited about. Um, and it's it comes with challenge for sure. Uh, there are certain uh, rules that probably don't make a lot of sense um, uh, back in Australia or, or most of the rest of the world, but there are some rules in place in terms of number of staff that you can have. So for instance, the NCAA uh, limits our coaching staff to, to two full-time coaches. We do have a volunteer, but so there's a, a lot of moving pieces uh, with our team for a very small number of coaches. So we're just trying to, um, to kind of wrap our heads around that. And uh, so it, it comes with challenge. Um, you know, recruiting is a huge piece of being a successful collegiate program, uh, but not just finding the best, athletes like that's the easy part um the 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 trickier part is just finding the right ones that um are going to fit in well with your program your team culture on a personal level like can can we communicate uh to be successful so those are are some of the challenges in just trying to like do that while you're still coaching every day because i'm I'm talking with, you know, 15 and 16 year olds. Um, and it just, I think it's earlier than it should be, but I'm, I don't make those decisions. Um, yeah. That's way above my pay grade, but um, you know, just, just going through that process of recruiting and then also managing the college team and then also managing uh, you know, our, our pro group. And again, our pro group is only two people, but it's two of the best swimmers in the world in uh, Katie Ledecky and Simone Manuel. So, you know, there's a lot of like moving pieces, but it's fun. It is a, um, the NCAA format here in the States, uh, in our sport in particular, like it makes swimming a team sport. And uh, I, I just don't think you see that anywhere else in the world uh, to mm -hmm. the same level. Um, you know, there, there's, 
obviously an individual component to swimming. You, you have to stand on the blocks by yourself. You can't have somebody go in your place. Um, but at the same time, like it just brings everybody into this team thing where you're racing for points. And, and I, I, you know, my guess is that the rest of the world saw a good piece of that through the ISL, uh, this past year and just the, the team battles and, uh, swimming for points and, and swimming for your team, uh, to a, to a different level than maybe what they were used to. Um, and ultimately I, I think it's been, uh, probably the majority of the reason for our success uh, from team USA perspective, like just kids understanding the the collegiate system, you know, being kind of battle tested. And then as they, as they get, you know, through, um, through that collegiate season into an international competition uh, it's in a lot of ways, it's easier. uh, Right. And so that's been, been really interesting, but it's, it's really fun. And, uh, we've been on a good run the last, um, you know, five, six years. And um, I don't lose any like motivation or passion on that. I, I can't wait to like have our team back and get started for the next season. And another thing is I, I know a lot of Australian swimmers that have been over there and some who are heading over next year to get amongst the, the university systems. What are, what are some of the keys to transitioning into that college environment? Do you think? Yeah, I, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, there's some, um, of course, there's always going to be, no matter when you're, whether you're coming from Australia or a different club team in the state of Texas, um, there's going to be a physical uh, adaptation, right, and a change and just understanding how that works. But, um, you know, from a, a life perspective, I think it's, it's one of the most difficult things. It's like you're really now on your own for the first time and you're doing it at, at age 18 and like, coming into this team environment and recognizing that not one person, no matter how great they are, is more important than the group as a whole. And so, you know, when you have some of the best athletes in the world joining your team who aren't, you know, up there saying, Hey, it's all about me. And they're, they're saying it's all about the team. It just kind of gets everybody on a, on a level playing field. And I think that's super important. I think if you get too much, if you get a little too myopic on your, on your own swimming and your own success, um, that transition then to the team culture is, is harder. And so, um, you know, just kind of recognizing that, but I think coming here, especially if you're coming from overseas where your whole life is changing, it's like, it's a good time to like, just sort of redefine yourself a little bit, even as a, as a swimmer and how you view yourself as part of something that's much greater. It's Simone Manuel, uh, what an, a, a phenomenal athlete, um, Olympic champion, world champion, just an out-and-out out superstar of our sport. Talk to me about your partnership with Simone uh, and how have you seen it progress from maybe the time you first started working with her and, until now? Uh, it's been pretty awesome. Uh, this is, I think I've now coached her for six years, which is about as long as I've coached anyone in my career, um, coming up on on year number seven. And um, I love Simone. She's just sensational in, in every way. And, um, I think it really has been a true partnership. Uh, while she trusts me, um, I also trust her a lot and, and ask for her feedback on things all the time. And so we're constantly talking, whether it's stroke technique, weekly training schedule meets training camps. Uh, of course I, you know, got all that stuff sort of mapped out in my head, but just being able to talk through some of the finer details of that, um, has been super important. And, um, you know, 
she's a pretty rare breed in that like she is a, you know, she's a sprinter, obviously world, as you said, world champ, Olympic champ. Um, but, but trains on a different level. Like she, she trains and, and always has trained more, you know, from a middle distance perspective and she's not afraid of the work. And so she really has just embraced, um, the process of, of what it takes to get better and just has that mindset that is, um, just like killer instinct, especially in racing. And you've seen that, right. Mm -hmm. She's, she wins a whole lot of races that she's not, you know, quote unquote, supposed to win. And, and that's because of, of, you know, herself and her confidence in, in what she's doing, what, what collectively we've been doing. And that makes it a lot easier to, to coach her. Um, so that's been a really fun partnership but to see the growth from, <laughs> the first time I started working with her, I wasn't coaching her yet. Um, she was about a month away from enrolling as a, as a, a student at Stanford university was 2014 Pampax. Um, she had already, you know, gotten into Stanford. She had committed to coming, but she wasn't um, on campus yet. And uh, I was a, a, a coaching staff member with team USA that particular summer. Um, by the way, the worst weather, of all time for a Pampax. Everybody in Australia is like, I don't it never rains this much. I do it's never this that. cold. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was the worst. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I digress. Um, <laughs> had to be she, an outdoor meet too, didn't it? Had to be yes, in the gut. It did. Yeah. It did. Um, <laughs> and, and she had, you know, had a, a meet where she struggled a little bit. And, um, and seeing the growth from that, to 2015 um, world championships, like, okay, we haven't quite figured this out yet, to just sort of personal and, and athletic growth to the 2016 Olympics, you know, bam, win. Uh, 2017, win, you know, 2019, win both events. And swims on a, on a four by 200 free relay. She, she let off, a lot of people forget that. Um, she let off in 156 flat, was her, her best time by um, over a second. And that was after having done the semifinal of the hundred freestyle earlier in that session, she had about 60 minutes in between. Um, and so like just that, she couldn't have handled that in 2014. And so just kind of seeing that growth has been, been really great. But then, you know, she's, she's also embraced um, her, her role in the swim community. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of black swimmers in the U S and, um, and certainly, um, you know, there have been some on the national team over the years, but not many. And so um, she's been been pretty active in um, trying to educate Black Lives Matter movement here in the States. And um, it, it's been really, I don't want to say fun, that's not the right word, but um, it, it's been, um, you know, nice just to see her growth and, and take on that role as well. Um, it's especially during these times, which have been incredibly challenging. Absolutely. I was listening to a few of her interviews just before we started this, actually. And what was um, very refreshing was to see the way she took on that role. Like, I, I think one of the guys asked her in one of those interviews, oh, do you get sick of, you know, talking about being the, you know, the first or the only black athlete around at the moment that's, you know, successful. And she sort of said, you'd think I would, but I, I really don't because she sees it as an opportunity to to inspire people and, and to create change. So I think, you know, um, tip the hat to her on that. I think she's a, a, an absolute champion in that. You mentioned in, in one of your interviews that she's probably the most naturally gifted athlete you have in, in your program. Have you seen her do anything in or out of the pool that just sort of made you shake your head and go, wow. Well, I see her do stuff in the pool all the time that makes me shake my head. <laughs> um, out of the pool, um, 
No, I mean, I just like how she moves in the weight room. She just is very athletic. So uh, any kind of strength movements, lift movements, um, you know, she's kind of getting back into that routine because that was the one piece that she hasn't really had access to over the last three months. So kind of getting back in, she was laughing the other day because she, she knocked her head with a, um, with a bar uh, doing a clean movement last week. Um, it's just a little out of practice, but yeah. uh, she's, she's incredibly athletic just in how she moves and how she jumps. Um, and she, I think of all the athletes I've ever worked with, she adapts to stimulus change faster than anyone I've ever seen. It's like you give kind of one thing, whether it's technical or um, just even out of the water or a piece of race strategy, like she can make a change almost instantaneously. Mm. And it doesn't always stay, right? And so you, you have to kind of reinforce that. But she is able to understand um, whether it's, you know, biomechanics yeah. uh, to be able to like, feel it, change it. Um, and that's really hard to do, especially for someone as good as she is. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't, she's not closed minded about that. You know, she's very open minded about like making changes that it's going to help her. And so, um, that's a thing, like whether we're doing a, a drill for her starts to, to get off the blocks, um, with a little bit more power, depending on, you know, the kind of line that we want to hit when she gets to the water, uh, she can just make a change immediately and that's so hard to do especially for athletes that are you know her age and as successful as she is like she's not afraid to to make changes mate off the blocks i like the little plug there that you put yeah, in that. You thank like you that? very much yeah i appreciate it <laughs> uh, i'll use that as a little grab for for all my promos now um, <laughs> now mate, i try not to get too technical on this show but i, I can't help but look at, at the athletes that you work with and see I guess a vast difference in terms of maybe events and, and distance and, and stroke. So I'm interested in, in how you make that all work. I mean, you've got your fast twitch athletes such as Simone, but I know you mentioned this, she does do a bit of work at times as well. You've got Taylor Ruck, but you've got your more aerobic athletes with, with Katie and, and Maya Dorado without giving too much away, you know, give us a sneak peek inside your program and I guess all its moving parts. Yeah. Um, we really try and create, a um a weekly schedule that creates opportunities for them to get better and like um you know when it, their water touches per week is usually nine sometimes katie's at 10 uh mm -hmm. water touches per week and you know and they've got their their lifting and their dry land and all that stuff but you know through those nine or ten sessions um seven of them are there's different groups with different focuses. Sometimes it's, it's based on a very specific event uh, that we want to tackle, or sometimes it's just a, you know, a category of middle distance, distance or sprint. Sometimes it's very uh, stroke specific. Um, and so we feel like, you know, as we go through the course of our week that um, we put people in groups to maximize their training schedule. So there isn't like this, group that you are with every single workout. I mean, most times you're getting outside. There's going to be kind of a main bubble that you, that you operate in. Right. But you're not going to do all nine workouts with the same exact people. You're going to have one where, um, you know, we get to a stroke day and they do something a little bit different or, you know, we get to, a um, you know, a middle distance day, but some of our sprinters need to come down. Uh, some need to go up and just like finding out, 
the, the puzzle pieces to that is something that I really like something I totally could geek out over, mm. you know, we'd have a whole nother off the blocks uh, for that. <laughs> um, and, and like, you know, what, what makes sense from a weekly perspective. Mm. And, um, you know, we've been in a pretty good routine with that and we'll make subtle changes just so there's, there's some stimulus change, but we really like the flow of our week and it does allow, you know, someone like Maya Dorado to go and attack, um, winning four medals at the 2016 Rio Olympic games and who's, who's doing that in 400 IM and 200 backstroke, 200 IM. And for someone like Simone to, to go and attack the 50 and the hundred. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned Taylor who, who's this, you know, incredibly gifted, incredibly athletic, uh, athlete, um, who's, who kind of also lives in a little bit of that sprint middle distance range, you know, between her hundred freestyle and her 200 backstroke, they're pretty different strokes. And yet she's world-class in both. Um, and so we just, you know, we, we hope to create opportunities, uh, to do that. And, and also understanding their backgrounds, you know, Taylor is a, as a great example, uh, her, her background in Arizona, but then, um, having spent a, a year of just doing really great work with the HPC in Toronto and, and understanding that. And, and now she's back with that group uh, this summer. Um, and, and so, you know, we're just trying to like figure out all those moving pieces um, and, and feel like we've had, you know, pretty good success with that. Um, now that all said, I will say like, I have a special place in my heart for the 400 I am. That's kind of always been, uh, I just, I love the challenge of, of coaching that event and what it presents. And, you know, we've had a, a good run here of, um, you know, having a Stanford swimmer be represented in the, one of the two U.S. spots for, you know, five of the, the last six years or something in the summertime. So uh, it's pretty, pretty fun for us to, to kind of go through that. Do you have any weird names for, for those groups? I know Bob Bowman has uh, apples, oranges and, and mangoes. Do you have any odd names? Oh. No, no, we're definitely boring on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then he, on a Saturday, I think he said he has some fruit salad where they all come together. I said, oh, I, yeah, I can't say go. that with a straight face. I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you mentioned Taylor Ruck there and, and what a brilliant, you know, Canadian athlete she is, but obviously she's done a lot of her swimming in, in America, but so impressive. And a few years ago, she came out with, for the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast um and and killed it and you know i think for a lot of aussies who didn't know about her really opened their eyes she's only 20 how how excited are you about say the next four to five years for her yeah and you know like like any great athlete there's always going to be little ebbs and flows and and you know i i think last summer was a a tough experience for her in in 2019 she had gotten pretty sick in in May and and just never really like got back to the training rhythm that she had had earlier in the year, um, which was tough for her coming out of that 2018 meet that you mentioned. I mean, she was just off the charts good (laughs) in, uh, in the Commonwealth games. And so, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I think she's one of those folks that's really benefiting from uh, an extra year before the games. Um, But as I, as I look at Taylor, um, and think about her career, she's going to be as good and her career is going to be as long as she wants it to be. Um, you know, she has the, she has the skill set, and, um, you know, she, she can be successful in this sport for a long time if she wants to. Uh, and so I, I get pretty excited about, you know, her and, and what she's doing and, and how she still can, can be quite a bit better. 
face setbacks and, and challenges as a coach. In, in many ways, it's how we learn and, and evolve. What kind of setbacks have you ever had through your career as a coach and what lessons did you learn from that? Um, you know, I think anytime, um, well, I'll say it this way, like regardless of how our team did, um, as, as coaches, Tracy Slusser, who's our uh, associate head coach here, um, we are pretty hard on ourselves in terms of um, evaluating how we did. And, you know, as coaches, we're always like 19 people could do great. And it's the one kid that didn't, that you're going to, you know, you know exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, saying. absolutely. And so, but what we do a good job of is, is really trying to put our finger on the pulse of why that happened and then going about and making change. And so, you know, I think our setbacks are constant um, in, in because we're, we're going to have a setback with a particular summer, even if our team is doing great. Mm. And so we're constantly um, being tough critics of ourselves. Uh, like I'm always going to, and I asked Tracy to do this too. Like we're always going to look inside first. Okay. Where did I fall short? Where did, where did, you know, kind of the, the training uh, cycle fall short. And then you think about, okay, how they fit into that. And then, you know, what, what changes can we make? And uh, recognizing that it's not all on us, but we are the starting point for that. And then it goes on to them of, okay, where did you fall short? You know, what are the things that you can be better at? Mm. Um, and so I think that's something I've really gotten better at over the last, I don't know, eight years or so, of uh, just recognizing, um, areas of opportunity, uh, to be, to be better. And, um, you know, we're as coaches, you know, this, we take things way too seriously, way too hard, um, way too personal at times. Um, and, and so, you know, just recognizing that if our team has a, has a bad meet or someone has a bad swim, then it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means I need to be better at coaching and recognizing that. Um, and that's constant, you know, I think even last summer with, as great as the world championships were for us, uh, collectively our Stanford women who were on the world championship team, we had five of them. Mm. Um, and I was the, the head coach for team USA. So like how that as good as that meet was for both of those groups, there were areas that we fell short and, um, you know, trying to, to recognize that like, we've got to, we've got to be better. And so just trying to go do that. I know you mentioned there you're pretty good internally looking at what's going on, but do you ever get maybe a mentor coach to come in and give you an objective look at things? Say someone from the outside looking in, or do you, are you pretty good? Do you think at sort of looking within? Um, mostly looking within, but I, I definitely um, have a gentleman I uh, communicate with that's uh, been really helpful and not on any kind of regular schedule, but a little bit more organic conversations about, um, you know, what's, what's going on and, and how to be better. And also just constantly talking with our coaches here. So not just Tracy, but our, our men's coaches uh, as well. Dan Schemmel, Neil Kasky, like just constantly uh, bouncing ideas off and, and trying to, to figure out a, a, any way that we can to make kids better. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, I encourage more of the, um, uh, of the, that sports psychology work, like with the athlete and ha have a direct line to um, or our sports psychologist to work through um, some of the different challenges that they're going to face either in a year or in a career um, and how we can be, um, you know, just kind of 
buffers on that. And, and so being a part of the process, but not being in on, on every piece of it, because those are things that they need to work through. But then like on the outside, how can we keep uh, things like together and moving along? If that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting at the moment with coaching, isn't it, that we do have sports psychologists and nutritionists and all these people that now we're sort of the conduit to, you know, getting people, the, the athletes to those guys where probably back in the day and probably before my time, but coaches were everything. You know, you go to your coach, he was your nutritionist, he was your psychologist, yeah. he, he was yeah. everything. So now we've kind of got that team around us. Oh, for sure. Yep. <laughs> Um, I can't have a discussion with you without bringing up, in my opinion, the, the greatest female swimmer of all time in Katie Ledecky, 15-time uh, world champion, five-time Olympic champion, and she's superhuman in, in some of the things that she's done and achieved in our sport. Give us a little insight into what it's like to work with Katie, and, and do you sometimes learn as much from her as she does from you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and your description is, is spot on. I mean, she is... Uh, just the most incredible summer that I've ever had the opportunity to, to work with or really even watch. Um, she has the ability to, to kind of go to that place that most other people, even the very best of the best, like can't go there. Um, and she's um, really kind of redefined distance swimming, especially here in the U.S. And and, um, you know, a lot of ways has made distance swimming cool, uh, which I know it's always been cool in Australia, but, you know, we've kind of lagged behind um, since the, the Janet Evans era. And uh, it's been fun to see that and, and how she inspires so many young girls here in the U.S. to, like, get into swimming and to work hard and to embrace it and to be really good in the distance events. And I don't think we're going to necessarily see the impact of that like now, but I do think there will be a wave uh, effect of that down the road. Um, and she's just, she's incredible. And I do learn a lot from her, uh, from watching, uh, from having conversation, although Katie is generally uh, pretty quiet. Um, but, you know, having, having discussion on what she's thinking about and what she feels and what she's, you know, wants to do, um, I get inspired. I get inspired every day. And, um, you know, she just does some pretty incredible stuff and you've, you've seen it. Uh, everyone has seen it at competitions and we're spoiled that we get to see it in a, in a daily training environment. And what's she like as a competitor? I know listening to, um, Grant Hackett not long ago on another podcast. And he said that, um, you know, he looks back on his career and some of the things that he looks back on were his, his, what he called failures, where he might've got second in a race where he thought he should have won. What's she like as a competitor? I know last year she had a very difficult, you know, world chance with, with illness. How did she handle that? What's she like, you know, when, when things probably aren't going as well as she would like? Yeah, she's fiercely competitive. I think, you know, the, the one, uh, and they've, the, their friendship has really grown over the years, but the, the one bond for sure between Katie and Simone is they are both just fiercely competitive. And so when we're doing any kind of like 200 freestyle work, where, you know, Katie's kind of coming down to the two and Simone's coming up to yeah. the two and they can just like go at it. It's really fun as a coach. You're just kind of <laughs> sitting back and, and you become a fan, um, you know, and less of a coach at that point. But um, yeah, I think she handled last summer so well. I mean, that, that was a really tough deal. She had um, some of her best training cycles um, last spring in the spring of, of 2019 um, you know, April, May, June, July, just like building momentum. Um, every block was a little bit better and a little bit better and, you know, could kind of tell the last 
couple days when we were in our camp in Singapore. Something a little bit off and hadn't seen that in forever. And then sure enough, you know, she, she gets really sick. Uh, uh, you know, I wasn't sure that she was even going to finish her, her mile in prelims her 1500. I mean, it was, I, I was worried at one point. Um, and so, you know, for her to scratch out of an event that, you know, arguably is, is probably her, her, um, I don't want to say easiest gold medal. Cause that doesn't sound, you know what I'm, but yeah, she, no, I know what you mean there. Yeah. You know? And so, um, and to scratch out, I think said a lot about just how sick she was and, all she wanted to do was, was to get back into the meet and, um, and inspire her teammates. And so I just felt like she handled that so well, because that's a tough place to be for someone as successful as Katie. Um, and so, you know, we had a lot of conversations as, as the meet was going on and working with the doctors and what made sense. And, you know, she comes back and, and just kind of guts her way through the 800 free relay, which, the Aussies had an unbelievable swim and they outtouched us and they set a, a new world record. Uh, our American quartet was also under the old world record and, and, you know, Katie just kind of willed her way through that. And we always kind of joke that 90% of Katie is, is better than most of the world. Um, you know, but then she just like feels terrible again after the 800 prelims and, and having to then like battle through a race that's not short um, and to, to see her come back on that last 100, um, to, to win gold. I just think says a lot. She could have, she could have mailed it in, um, after the, the 1500 prelim and said, you know what, I'm done. I, I I'm just going to sit out the rest of the meet. Yeah. And she like, just refused to do that. And she wanted to be there for her teammates, um, to, to help inspire them. Cause she had been so inspired by their performances through the course of the meet. Um, and so like, that's the, you know, it's a little things that, that people probably don't pick up on, but I was just really proud of how she handled that. Um, came out of that summer and had a really great 2019 up, up until today. I mean, she's just done tremendously well. And um, I think her last racing opportunity was, was in Des Moines, Iowa in March. Uh, she was 359 and 154 in the 200, 1529 in a mile, just like doing really well. And so we were excited about, about this summer and it's okay. We'll press pause and, and we'll, uh, we'll get back to it in, in, in 2021. Um, but she is a, a great example too, I think of, of most people. Um, like even though she was on a roll and even though I look at Simone and she was on a roll, like there are very few people that aren't in a better spot a year from now than they are right now. Yeah. Right. And so like, even though, Hey, you were on a roll, like, another year of work, another year of, of making some little tweaks and changes and allowing that to happen over time, you're going to be great next mm -hmm. summer. And so, you know, I, I feel confident and, and excited about that. How excited are you for the, for the challenge of, obviously we look at last year in the 400 and I know Katie wasn't at, at her best physically. She was not well, but Ariane, an Australian swimmer stepped up and, and really, you know, I guess made some big strides forward in terms of bridging the gap. And, and if Katie was at her best, maybe she might've been slightly ahead of that, but still the gap has been bridged a year from now. Ariane's obviously going to have high, you know, goals and in terms of improving herself. So no doubt it's going to be a race to watch and I'm excited to watch it. So does that excite you to know that, you know, you know, that's going to become fiercely competitive? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, 
you can't take anything away from what Ariane did last summer. I mean, that was an incredible swim. Um, and just had a great meet in general. Like I thought her 800 even was, was a pretty good, you know, pretty good swim for someone that doesn't, you know, go up to that event very often. And, and Dean's done a, a really nice job with her, uh, in her progression in her career. And, and she's absolutely going to be better next summer. And so I get excited about, you know, the challenge that that presents. Um, cause you know, Katie knows that she's not going away, that Ariane's not going away. She's gonna, she's gonna be there. And, uh, I'm sure it's going to be highly anticipated, um, but there's a lot that's that's got to happen between now and then. And um, you know, for for us, just I'm sure is it. I don't want to assume, but I'm, uh, you know, knowing Dean and, and Ariana, I'm sure they have a plan on things they want to attack this year. We're we're doing that as well and finding uh, some little things that we're going to get better at between here and next summer. Um, but then you you know you, you have to get through the U.S. trials. You can't take that for granted. Even someone like Katie. Um, you know, we have to make sure that we're, we're qualifying in all our events and, and then, you know, having our turnaround and, and being better uh, at the game. So there's a lot of kind of steps along the way before they have the opportunity to race each other again. I could be very cheeky and ask uh, what some of those plans are moving forward uh, just for my uh, Aussie coaching uh, friends out here, but I'll stay away from that. I won't put you in that position. Mate. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> mate, uh, you know, we've mentioned, uh, you know, a few of those superstars that you've worked with and, and also varied and we've sort of touched on, you know, what does make them, um, you know, so unique, but, you know, give us a little insight into that mindset or is it application to training? Is it the way they compete? You know, what sets, say, Simone and Katie and, and obviously, you know, you've got people like Caleb Dressel and, and Adam Peaty. What sets these guys apart from, from everyone else, do you think? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, having never coached uh, Adam or having never coached Caleb, um, I mean, certainly I've seen Caleb a lot, but yeah. having never coached him, it's, it's hard to know. Uh, but I think with those two men in particular, there's a heck of a lot of athleticism in their bodies. I mean, the, the watching um, how they move, the power that they uh, output uh, in their swims and their starts, you know, just watching Caleb jump behind the blocks is insane. I, I just never seen anybody do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and so uh, they're also getting coached up really well. I mean, Mel Marshall, come on, she's done just an incredible job and coach Troy with, with Caleb. And so, um, you know, there, that's a, it's a combination of things. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, you know, the, the six inches between the ears is, is ultimately going to separate uh, a lot of folks. And it isn't just in those moments but it's really in the day-to-day, in the day-to-day grind. If you can uh, continue to put yourself out on a limb uh, from a training perspective and, and make those strides and not shy away from competition and really embracing those things, then when you get to those big moments, it doesn't seem so daunting. Um, you know, and I, I just think that's such a critical piece of it, you know, it, but it isn't, you can't have, you know, just, two of the three it's like you have to have the athleticism you've got to have a good training program but and you got to have the mindset and i think without you know kind of one of those three it, it gets tougher and so you know thinking about those those athletes and those that i've seen over the years that's you certainly you know haven't seen um some of the best in the world that don't have that like instinct to 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 just go and i think about maya dorado uh even in that regard you know she's She's very um, humble. 
um, you know, not, she's not uh, very gregarious in terms of her personality and, and she never talks about how good she is, but like, you do not want to go head to head with her. She will, <laughs> she will beat you up. Um, and so, you know, she just has that, like, she's got that switch. And ultimately that's what led to her success in, in 2016, you know, specifically in the 200 backstroke, um, everything that we had done, you know, kind of in that year lead up was for the third 50 of that 200. And that was when she came off that hunter wall and pressed Katinka because nobody had pressed her yet the entire meet, not to that level. Yeah. And just like, I'm not going to back down just because it's Katinka Hosu, who's world record holder, one of the best swimmers in the world. But like she had that ability to push back and not be afraid of that. And so, you know, how many great swimmers do you see that that don't have a, a strong mental uh, fortitude like that? It's, you know, <laughs> I don't know of any. So, Absolutely. you know, that piece is pretty important, right? But you've had so much success uh, with female athletes and, and also during your career, you've worked with male athletes as well. What are some of those main differences psychologically have you noticed in trying to get the best out of each swimmer? I know we touched on it there in terms of the, the universal things that, that all you know, swimmers, whether it's male or female, you know, need to, to be successful. But what are some of the things that, that you've noticed? And is that something that you've had to get better with over time in identifying things? Or have you always been pretty good at differentiating? No, I think that's, that's something I've definitely gotten better at over the years. I don't think I understood that at all when I first got into coaching and probably not for the first, you know, 10, 15 years of my coaching career, just, you know, that, that your perspective changes and all of a sudden you realize that there are all these other things that are super important. Um, you know, and just like, if I want these three people to, to just like go all in on this set that we're about to do. I can't necessarily say the same thing to have the same effect and just like, how am I going to push his buttons? How am I going to push her buttons? How am I going to push her buttons? And you know, that I think is something I've gotten quite a bit better at um, and recognizing the difference for sure between men and women. And um, you know, I've coached in an environment where both men and women were on the same team. And I coached in an environment where it was just a men's team. And now obviously at Stanford where it's just women um, understanding and recognizing the differences. And I think that's made me quite a bit better. Talking to um, coach Troy the other day, and he was saying that he's noticed a trend in terms of, he almost has to deal with the men's side. Now um, the way he used to talk to the female athletes are becoming a lot more, um, you know, in terms of him having to give a lot more information, a lot more cuddling a little bit, you know, looking after them a little bit more. And, and the females are, are now starting to become a little bit more headstrong and dogged and, and not, you know, needing any of that. And they just get in there and, and rip in and, and go hard. Have you noticed something similar? A little bit, but I think it really depends on the person, right? I, you know, we have a couple of those on our team, but we also have a, a vast majority who's not that, you know, yeah. and, and just, um, in, in being very thoughtful about messaging and what is it that I want them to hear um, and recognizing that what I say uh, may not be what they hear. And so I've got to make sure that the, the language that I'm using is something that they're going to hear the message. Um, and, and I think that's something that's really important in coaching women. Yeah, I think that's perfect, mate. Now, you've got a family at home, as many coaches do. Uh, you know, how do you go about finding the balance between home and work? And for you especially, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a full-time coach, but I'm certainly not at your level. So I'm not, you know, having trips over here and trips over there and having to, to you know, head here for five weeks. So how hard is it to find that balance? It's hard. 
Um, it, yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat that part of it, but um, having a partner that uh, you know, is, is completely supportive, uh, makes all the difference and been married to my wife now for, uh, 17 years. And, you know, with our, with our two boys it in, you know, their understanding and appreciation for why I do what I do has been super helpful and takes a lot of the pressure off of when I do have to go away because they get it and they, um, they feel it and they're around our team a lot. And I think that's important. I think if it were, you know, just an entity that they didn't ever like see or be around, um, it would be very different. But because they know our team, they know the women on our team, um, it's it's more personal and it's more real. And they understand that these are sacrifices that we're all making because of, of what we're trying to do as a team uh, for these women at this time in their life. And so um, that's been really helpful. And um, but, you know, it is hard. It's hard on you know, going away on a three week training camp. Like that's, that's a lot tougher, I think here for the home than it is for me when I'm on the road. Cause I'm, you know, busy and, and yeah. coaching and planning and having conversations. And then at the end of the day, there's a little bit of that sort of loneliness that sets in, but I think it's much harder for my wife and the kids here when, uh, when I'm gone for that long. And so just, just trying to um, make sure that, you know, the, the kids, especially they understand the why, um, I know my wife understands that, but I think it's been important that the, the, the boys have understood why it is that I do what I do. And then it makes it easier when I, you know, when I have to take those times away. Do you get a chance to have breaks, have little holidays? I know talking to Bob Bowman not long ago, he was saying you went through, a, it was like a 10 year stretch where he just didn't have holidays. Like he just never yeah. took a break. What about for yourself? Do you, do you manage to try and get time to I haven't done a great job of that. No. Um, you know, it's like certain stretches, there's always the next thing and, um, and just kind of forcing, forcing some holiday. And so ironically, the one time that we like, all right, after the games, we're going to, to Italy. I've never been, my wife loves it there. We were going to do, um, Italy, uh, Croatia. We're going to kind of, take a little jump over to Switzerland because she's never been there back to Italy and then come home. And it was going to be about two, two and a half weeks total. Um, we were going to do that in, um, in October. Um, Cause just kind of as a, like, all right, this fall, I'm not going to coach as much. I'm going to dial it back mm-hmm. coming out of the games, like take a little bit of a breather, go on vacation. And then I'll start to like build it back in. It's like, son of a gun. <laughs> We're still doing it, but you know, it's now 14, 15 months from now. So um, that's kind of our plan though. I think that's really important. And that would just be for, uh, for my wife and I, you know, the kids were going to stay here with family. And um, cause I think she deserves that more than anybody. Yeah. Um, and so we're excited about, you know, getting back out to that. So one of the things though, that living here in Northern California, like you can do, little things often. Napa Valley is, is super close. Um, San Francisco is 40 minutes away. And so you, you can kind of do these, these little one day things or two days. Um, We just haven't had the big holiday and that's what we're looking forward to. May 2021 Tokyo Olympics, you'll be the head coach of the USA women's team, but you also have your own athletes or you will have your own athletes competing Hopefully. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not unfamiliar to you, but is, is it easy to navigate that situation? Um, yeah, in terms of like having 
my own athletes on the team as well. Yeah, but then you also have, you know, the responsive, yeah. responsibility of being yeah. the, the head coach of that team. I, fortunately, I've, I've been the head coach now of um, two different world championship teams. And I think that was helpful uh, in Budapest 2017 and Guangzhou in 2019. Um, I had been on staff as an assistant coach for Team USA at the 2016 games in Rio. Um, but, you know, like definitely noticed the difference between that and then being the head coach and just, um, you know, this is some of the different responsibilities and conversations. Like you can't just get too, you know, honed in on your own group. So there are challenges uh, with that, but I, I feel as though I'm used to it now and I, I like it. I like the different challenges that that presents and wanting to help Team USA win as many medals as possible. About for your own program and, and your own athletes, what are some of the keys over the next 12 months to make sure they're, they're ready to rumble come trials time and then obviously moving into, into the Olympics? I know you're not going to want to give too, too much away, but um, you know, what are some of the keys, I think, for, for yourself that you're looking forward to over the next 12 months? Yeah, I think identifying the areas where we didn't necessarily do as good a job as we should have this past year. And it's like, Hey, we get a second chance on some of these things. Uh, generally I felt like we were doing great, but there are a couple of areas that we want to get better at. And so recognizing that, um, you know, again, as I talked about earlier, just the, the runway to the fall, like, all right, let's take advantage of this so that, you know, ideally September of, uh, 2020, we're in a better footing than where we were in September of 2019. And that's saying something given, you know, the, the COVID experience here, Um, you know, and then the rest of it, honestly, we're, we've got a plan, but um, it's going to be somewhat dictated by how things go. Um, Just like the games. There's no guarantee that the games will happen next summer. Uh, You know, I certainly have a real difficult time foreseeing a scenario where we've got folks in, in uh, the seats and spectators um, certainly not in full capacity. And so what is that, what does that look and feel like? And just starting to kind of think about that. And, um, again, just controlling what we can. As coaches, we always talk to our athletes about pressure and, and as a coach, you know, how do you find it? I mean, you, you know, I've got to be honest, I look at the job you've done and you'll continue to do no doubt over the next 12 months with your program. And you have some of the biggest names, not just in your program, not just in, in a team America, but in world swimming, you know, and, and for a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of public um, expectations, I guess, that oh, really? come onto <laughs> it. Yeah. 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 For me, I, I look at that and I just think, oh, how does this guy, this is just more a selfish question, you know, how yeah. do you handle it personally? And, and is it something you just try not to think about? And, you know, you treat them no differently in terms of, yes, it's Katie Ledecky, but this is an athlete that we want to improve. Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And I think somewhat misunderstood at times from people that that aren't coaching um, or have never, you know, kind of been in this arena before um, that coaching athletes that are that great. Um, it's it's not always an easy path because there are heightened expectations and there is heightened pressure. And, um, you know, we all as coaches, we feel that and I don't I don't shy away from recognizing it, I guess. I like, okay, this is what it is. Um, I think it helps keep me honest, helps keep me motivated. Um, but of course, that's, that's the reality. Um, but at the end of the day, we're still trying to swim fast. And 
you know, keeping our focus there is, um, is going to be important because you know what, you literally cannot control anybody else, uh, in that final heat with you. If you're in the Olympic games and you're swimming in the final heat, you don't know what can happen. And so control what you can control. I love that saying I've, I've had to say that to myself in the last say three months, more than I've ever said it to any of my swimmers. Right? So, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm frustrated because we're not back in the pool yet or the, the pool's not opened or this isn't working. And then to take a moment, say control what I can control. <laughs> Don't yeah. stress about what you can't because we say it to the swimmers all the time, but it, it, sometimes it is hard to, to say it to ourselves. Something that um, I touched on with Bob Bowman, certainly w with Michael, and, and you would obviously be going through this yourself with the superstar athletes that you have is it's not just about, you know, swimming, training, competing. There's other elements around sponsorship, talking to media, all these things, because, you know, your girls and especially Simona and Katie would be um, very highly sought after in terms of wanting interviews and wanting sponsorship. And you got to talk to, is that hard for, for you to, to navigate? Because it's not always going to be, you know, the way you want it in terms of, okay, you've got to go here. And then all of a sudden something else comes out of nowhere that they've got yeah. to get pulled off to the side. Um, yeah, I, I'd say um, both of them have a really good handle on that. They both have um, spectacular uh, agents that, that represent them. Um, and they're like, it's very much an open dialogue between themselves and their agents and me and just kind of that, that circle. And I think that's what Bob did really well with, with Michael over the years and, mm. and just being part of that very, very small group, that closed group, you know, it's like Katie, Katie's agent, me, Simone, yeah. Simone's <laughs> agent, me. And that's, you know, like, keep it right there. Um, and, you know, the thing that I absolutely just am so grateful for uh, as it relates to this is like they value training. And so sponsors are going to work around their training schedule. They don't want to go do a photo shoot in Fiji just because it's in Fiji. Like <laughs> yeah. they, they'll be, they'll be upset that they're missing training. And yeah. so they have, they have gotten so good at that part of their life. It's, it's quite impressive actually. Oh, mate, fantastic. Now, before we get into some less serious questions with you and we finish up here, if there's any young coaches that are listening today, you know, what should they be looking at in terms of trying to build their program? And obviously, you know, you've built a very successful program, program there at Stanford. What is something that they should be looking at in terms of building a legacy and building a program like you have? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one to answer, um, but I'll, I'll do my best here. I, I think, um, you know, taking a step back and recognizing, like, what the current culture is, what is currently, what's valued. And if you're somewhere new, like, recognizing that, and if there's changes, addressing that, or if you've been somewhere for a while and you're wanting to reevaluate, um, like the culture piece is everything here, I think in the U S like that's what, that's what really um, allows us to kind of do our deal is, and, and here at Stanford, like there are things that we value that are non-negotiable, you know, and then we have some things that we value where there's a little wiggle room and then there's things like, okay, just do whatever you want over here. Um, and being consistent in your messaging as a coach is so important. If you waver, uh, and it's, it's not about being strict or stern. 
It's just consistent messaging. Because if you tell one person this and you tell another person a slightly different version of that, that's where you, you get into trouble and things like eat away at your culture. But if you, can, if you can have consistent messaging on the things that you value as a coach, and it doesn't really matter what they are. What matters is like that you believe in it and that you can then sell it to your athletes. Mm -hmm. And being consistent with that messaging is really important um, because ultimately that's going to then like feed itself over time and you have to do a little less of it and they'll do a little bit more of it. Um, and so that consistent messaging piece uh, and then the other thing is just like being confident in, in, in what you're doing. And even if you're not a hundred percent sure, like, I think this is going to go well, but I don't know. You have to be confident and especially confident in front of your athletes and in, in how you're believing in what they're doing, because you're going to need them to believe in what they're doing too. And so, um, you know, having that confidence and even if you're going to change or admit like, okay, that didn't work. I need to, need to tweak that or change it you know you just you do it with confidence and always standing confidently and I didn't understand that early in my career um uh, you know until until I got a little bit older and more experienced and then really sort of figured it out I've, I've always been fascinated by that and I think you're 100% right in terms of how many coaches out there are brilliant coaches but they might not be great salesmen so the message doesn't quite always get through and how many coaches out there might we look at and go oh, I don't know how great they are at coaching but god damn they're a great salesman yeah. and their they're athletes kidding. are just right behind them just giving everything they've yeah. got and then you know the results still do follow. Yeah, absolutely and you can see that just even with like there's you take the 20 best coaches in the world. They're not all coaching the same way in terms of programming or, you know, what they value from a training perspective, the energy system loads, mm. like 20 different probably methods, but their athletes are successful because they believe in what they're doing. 100%. Now, mate, I like to finish all my chats with some less serious questions. Um, okay. and, and it sort of gives us, a, I guess, a little bit of an insight into what you're like away from the pool. So, you know, rapid fire, sort of uh, quick responses, whatever first comes to your head. This okay. is just based around, you know, your favorite movies, your favorite songs, stuff like that. So um, what, what are some of your favorite music to listen to? Uh, like fifties and sixties so 1950s, 1960s. I'm sort of an old soul. Um, mm. although I do love all music and I actually try and, uh, teach our team about different genres of music that they have no idea. Um, but I sort of love the, the, you know, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, uh, era, uh, as well as you get into the, the early stages of Motown. Very nice. Now, what about your favorite movies? What have you been sitting down? Have you gone back over any since you've had a bit of time to, to be at home? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, we actually have introduced our kids to some of the movies that we love. So um, we went through the Godfather series. Um, I'm just, a, Godfather 3 was no good, but the first two were, were great. Yeah. Um, just trying to get them to watch different comedies from the 1980s, just, you know, different stuff that, that's kind of fun and silly. Um, but my wife and I started, uh, actually, ironically, yesterday, we started watching The West Wing, which was a show here in the U.S., very famous show um, mm. about uh, a president and um, just contrasting that with what's actually going on is, is you know, a tough pill to swallow at times, <laughs> but it also gives me hope for a better future. What about books, mate? Are you a reader? Do you have any books that you, you might recommend? 
I'm a terrible reader. Um, I know this is where Coach Bowman is so good, and I, it is not my specialty. Uh, I don't enjoy reading very much um, unless it's, you know, kind of a, um, a mystery novel of some sorts. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't enjoy reading, especially the self-help books. <laughs> <laughs> what about in terms of books? Has anyone approached you to, to maybe write one or, or put one out yourself? Not yet, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it may be something down the road that I would, you know, give some, some interest to. Now I know you're a man who loves his kitchen and cooking. What are some of your favorite meals? Uh, my, my homemade Italian meatballs, uh, I think can, can go up against just about anybody's. Um, my mom's side of the family is Italian mm. and, um, kind of passed down uh, recipe through the generations and made some tweaks and changes to my own. Um, and that's like, that's what I love to, to make. I mean, I, I love anything. I'm yeah. simple as cooking steaks on a grill, but um, my wife makes homemade pasta. And so when you get the homemade pasta with the homemade meatballs and sausage and pepperoni, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's delightful. Mate, you're getting me ready for breakfast over here now. Go. It's breakfast time, but you're making me hungry. Um, and I, I'm a man who who loves Italy. Um, I've been there a few times now and I love the food over there. I always come back about 10 kilos heavier because I'm yeah, just constantly right. eating. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. <laughs> yeah, we have gelato for dessert, but on the way home, there's another gelato place. My wife haven't had that and I'd like to have some of that too. In keeping the theme of, of that, what about countries? I know you, you, you probably don't get to get out and uh, explore as much in terms of when you go to these countries, but uh, do you have any favorite countries that you visited? Yeah, that's the fascinating thing about swim coaches. Like I have been to some really cool places in the world and haven't seen anything. <laughs> so um, I, I did enjoy uh, my time in Switzerland. I spent a little bit of time in the southern part of, of Switzerland. Um, I thought um, Budapest was just incredible when I was there in 2017 for the world championships, uh, you know, in part because they, they built this beautiful arena and then they had the water taxi that like took us back to the, to the hotel and we'd, you know, get up and, and walk maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, 500 meters to the hotel from yeah. the water taxi station. So that was a really neat experience. Um, but I would love to, to kind of get back. I, the only time I've ever been in Australia was, in 2014 again miserable weather conditions for pan packs and it didn't really uh, have time to to get out and about and that's something that i would like to do it is so no like anytime i bring up 2014 pan packs oh. to any of the guests that have been on the first you can the always worst. see the first thing they do is just shake their head and like oh such a bad experience and it can flip to the other side i know when we had trials um down there uh last year um and and they had it um and it was sunny and it was about 40 something degrees and there was no shade at all right. over the stand so i was there we had a few of the team i was working with at the time the head coach had about uh, four or five athletes there so i went down to support so i'm sitting in the stands with a singlet because it was a hot day so i wasn't prepared and i ended up just baking i wasn't ready for it at all so you know you can flip to the other side nice sunny day can turn you into a turkey yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> uh mate, in keeping with that you know, theme of, of not being able to get out and, and explore. What about for your athletes? So I know I've had a few um, athletes on here in terms of, you know, being in Europe and doing tours around there that it's always fascinated me, especially with these young uh, men and women who, you know, probably in the prime of their lives, they're in a beautiful country. They want to get out of Have you ever had any experiences like that with athletes that, 
maybe go wandering a little, do a Dennis Rodman and go missing for a couple of days and, and get out? No, you know, fortunately not. Uh, although the 2016, you know, experience with some of the um, U.S. Olympic team at the, the end of the meet became quite public. But, um, you know, we, we've got a pretty good crew. We're, we're trying to like really sort of, okay, there are going to be times to celebrate when we get back home. And let's, yeah. let's, not, uh, let's not do that. <laughs> now, mate, if you do come back to Australia and, uh, and we catch up and we're at the pub, what would I be shouting you for a drink? What, what would I get you from the bar if I was going up to get you a drink? Well, it depends. Uh, yeah, it depends. If I was, if it was at a pub, um, yeah, it depends. So I'm, I have become a bourbon fan. Um, so I've been drinking a little bit more bourbon. So I would, mm. I would do two cubes and, and three fingers of, uh, of bourbon. I, mm. I tend to like Basil Hayden's. Um, but, you know, in a pub setting, I'm, I'm going to drink beer a little bit more. But my, my go-to is, is red wine. Living here in Northern California, uh, this is, we've got some, of, and, and you do as well, but we've got yeah. some of the best red wines in, in the world in this region. And it's easily accessible. And so our go-to uh, at night when my wife and I are having dinner is usually a, a nice bottle of red wine. Very nice. Now, mate, I think um, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. And it's a great opportunity just to say thank you very much for, for coming on. It's an absolute honor to have a chat with you and go through your amazing career so far. Um, mate, stay safe over there with everything that's going on. And hopefully the coronavirus starts to um, you know, get control of and, and calm down. Um, but, you know, good luck with, with your continued success with your athletes and your program and, you know, with everything um, going on over there. I hope we can stay in touch and uh, maybe get you back on for another chat maybe next year. But uh, until then, thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thanks, Rami. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Where's my button? There. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Wow, what a week it has been. If you've missed any of the episodes this week, be sure to head over to our brand new YouTube page where all the episodes are on there. 20-minute best-of clips, which is all you need to catch you right up with the podcast and all the amazing guests we've had on this week. Now, looking ahead to next week and again, it is jam-packed. And if you don't believe me, just have a listen to what's coming your way. We have Aussie sprint legend Eamon Sullivan, New Zealand young gun Erica Fairweather, English superstar Amy Wilmont, Dolphins team member Kia Melverton, and USA coaching royalty Greg Troy coming your way. You do not want to miss a minute of the action. So many unbelievable interviews coming your way next week. Until then, though, guys, have a great weekend. And it's bye for now.